Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. You have your Bibles, go ahead and go to... Uh, Hebrews, if you don't know, we are in the book of Hebrews, and man, it's just been a journey for us as we were walking through this, and the book of Hebrews is just a book written to a bunch of Hebrews who, are, who have left the, the Jewish faith, and they have stepped into the Jesus faith. They have accepted the Messiah, but because all of a sudden when you step into the faith, you start to get persecuted. You start to find out that there are trials, there's tribulations. And you thought, man, before I was a believer, I didn't have all this. And the Jewish people were tempted to go back to the things and the ways that they were once living in. And so the writer's encouraging them to, to stay true that, that Jesus is better. And so we're going to go to verse 1 of chapter 8. Some of this will sound familiar because we've been preaching on this. Let me read six verses. It says, the point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest. And his name is who? Jesus, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. And by the way, that's what we're going to talk about next week, what that tabernacle looks like, what that sanctuary looks like. Verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer, talking about Jesus. If he were here on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when, he's, when he was about to build the tabernacle. God said, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Verse 6, and here's, here's where we'll, we'll sit on, right here, verse 6. But the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator of is superior to the old one. And the new one, the new covenant is established on better promises. Somebody say better promises. Anybody like technology? Anybody a fan of technology? Anybody know that technology is great, but it could also be bad, right? I mean, I love these, these phones and what they can do and what they represent and the things that we can capture. I mean, I'm capturing videos of my kids running around and like 30, 40, Lord willing, 70 years from now, they're going to get to watch these things. And Meanwhile, the pictures that I have, I can't even make up if that's me or one of my siblings. I just don't know. But these phones are amazing because they can do great things. And, you know, every year they put out a new one. And every year the new one is better than the old one. And I'm like, I don't care. Take all my money. Because that's, that's the truth, right? It's better than the old one. All the other models, this one's faster. This one's bigger. This one can capture better photos. And, and by the way, if you don't buy the new one, the old one's going to be obsolete. Because all those, those updates that you got to do in your phone, now it starts slowing down. And you're like, man, I paid this phone off. It's taken me two years, and now it hardly even works. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like they force you to get the new one. But it's true. The new ones are way better. The pictures that they capture, it looks like 
you've just taken a picture using the Hubble telescope. Meanwhile, that two-year-old phone looks like you've captured Bigfoot from the 17th century. You know, it's just like, like the comparison isn't, isn't even like, you can't even compare, they're just so much greater. And the new one becomes obsolete, or the old one becomes obsolete, doesn't really make any sense. You might as well just upgrade. That's also why I hate it, because every year I want to upgrade. You know that's the new covenant? The scripture says this new one is unlike anything that you have seen before. Unlike anything you've heard of, unlike anything you've seen, this new covenant that Jesus brings and what Jesus offers is so much greater. And by the way, it never rots, never wastes. It's always relevant. It never becomes obsolete. I've titled this morning's message, The New Covenant. For those taking notes, let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We're so blessed to be in your presence. And Father, I feel like we've already been preached at right right now in this room with, with worship and the story from Maggie. God, I thank you for what you're doing through Love Life. I thank you for what you're doing, God, when we sit here and we sing about you being our living hope. And the fact that now, because I was once old and I am new, I have a testimony, a testimony that'll bring not just people to you, but that'll bring glory to you. And so when I, when I worship God, I, I think of you. And when I read the scriptures, I think of you. It's hard not to. So would you be with us at this time as we read? And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody say one more time. Amen, amen, amen. Let me tell you a little bit about what a covenant is before we break down this new covenant. A covenant simply is an agreement between two parties. You have different types of covenants. You know, when you were a little kid and you used to spit in your hand and shake the other person's hand, they spit in their hand. That was just disgusting. Or maybe you drew a little bit of blood and you said, hey, you know, we, we agree on this type of thing. That's a covenant. It's essentially saying, um, you know, we will agree, both of us, in order for this to be fulfilled, you and I must agree. If you break it, then you've broken the covenant. Now, there are conditional covenants and there are unconditional covenants. A conditional covenant is an agreement between two people and you, and you have conditions you have to meet. You know, you have to keep up your end of the bargain and the other person has to keep up their end, other end of the bargain. And if you don't, it's broken. You have unconditional covenants, which it doesn't matter what you do as long as one person says, I will keep up my end of the bargain. It doesn't matter what you do. In other words, if you don't do this for me, if you don't keep up this condition, that's okay because I will still do what I've promised. Let me give you an example of a conditional covenant. My wife told me two days ago, she said, if you unload the dishwasher, I will load the dishwasher. She's not going to load the dishwasher if I unload the dishwasher. And I said something remarkable. I said, what if you unload it and load it? Just being a great, great husband. I didn't say that because I wanted to stay married, happily married. Um, in the Bible, Jacob, in order to marry Rachel, he had to work for Rachel's father for seven years. If you work for me for seven years, you can marry my daughter. Now, if you know the story, he ended up marrying the other daughter. And so he had to work another seven years. So that's, th these are covenants. These are conditional covenants. Do this for me, and I will do that for you. Now, an unconditional covenant. Mom and dad say to their kids, it doesn't matter what you do in school, mom and dad are going to pay for your college. Can I get an amen, kids? Come on. Mom and dad are going to pay for your college. Well, what about my grades? doesn't matter about your grades. What about my behavior? doesn't matter about, about your behavior. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do, I will pay for your college. That would be a, an unconditional. Now, throughout the Bible, we find unconditional covenants and we find conditional covenants. 
In fact, you can get a little bit deeper into uh, a couple arguments about covenant theology, which believes that God operates on covenants. And you read all throughout the Bible different types of covenants. Now, some would say, well, there's only really a few and they're all unconditional. Or some would say, no, there's a lot and they're all conditional. Well, in the Bible, we, we tend to read both. Let me give you just a few. Number one, you may all know this one. This is the Noahic covenant, the covenant that God made with Noah. And he said, I will never destroy the earth again by a flood. That is a unconditional covenant. It doesn't matter what mankind does later on. I will never destroy the earth via flood. I don't know if he used that word via, but it might have been translated as via flood. I'll never do that again. And by the way, here's a promise in the sky, and the promise was a rainbow, which, by the way, is a symbol of God, not of pride. So we have a couple of a covenant. Now, now you go back to the very beginning. And you look at Adam and the covenant that God made with Adam, the Adamant covenant, which was, you know, if you eat from this tree, you will be cursed. But if you don't eat from this tree, you will be blessed. That was a conditional covenant. And then you get to one with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenants. Again, have you, anybody heard of these covenants before? Okay, I know I'm talking to smart, brilliant, uh, Bible-loving people out here in this, in this room. Um, you have the Abrahamic covenant, which is the covenant that God made with Abram, which then he changed his name to Abraham. And he said, I, will, I promise I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham that you will be a father of, of many people. You will have a great nation and you will be blessed. Now there's a couple of other covenants to follow that that kind of um, come underneath that Abrahamic covenant, which you have the Palestinian covenant, you have the Davidic covenant, you have the Mosaic covenant, which we'll talk about. And then you have the new covenant here in the New Testament. This is the covenant that Jesus brought when he was talking to his disciples in 1 Corinthians, and he said, this is my cup, drink it. Remember the Last Supper? And he said, this is my new covenant. Again, let me remind you of what's going on here because we can look at this and apply, uh, we can have different stances, but God is bringing something better. Amen? You had conditional things, you had unconditional things. Some believe that this is only to Israel, some believe it's to the church. However, what we do know is that God will fulfill his promises. God's name will be exalted. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And by the way, God loves the nation of Israel. And when they are all gathered again, his name will be glorified. And when the Messiah comes again, his name and everybody will be blessed. But Jesus and what he's bringing is better. And so we're going to focus on two covenants a new covenant that this priesthood offers versus the, the old covenant and what that priesthood would offers. Jesus is better. He's the better mediator. He's a better sacrifice. And now what he brings, this covenant, is better. Let's go back to verse 6 in Hebrews chapter 8. Anybody got a real Bible in the house? Awesome. Anybody taking notes? Cool. If, we, if you are a mature believer, you're taking notes because uh, you, you may forget what's said. Um, look at verse 6 again. It says, but the, the, the fact that ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, just like the covenant of which he is offering, which he is the mediator of, is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. And right here we see, why is it better? Because of what it offers. It offers better promises. Verse 7, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. So how, how do we know that uh, the, the new one is better? Not just because it offers better promises, but because it looks like the old one had some type of fault. Verse 8, but God found fault with the people. 
And he said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So we understand that the priesthood of Jesus is better than the the Levitical priesthood. We got that. And you'll see time and time again that the writer of Hebrews is proving that everything that Jesus came to do and everything that he had to offer was was better. The priesthood could not offer what this new one could, so that one had to be replaced. If you remember when Joshua came, he brought them into the land of rest. And God said that if that rest was sufficient, I would not have needed to bring another rest. But I've got to bring another rest because that one was insufficient. And so now he's pointing out that the old covenant, which was faulty, did not offer what what I'm about to establish now through my son. This one is going to be better. If it worked, I wouldn't have had to bring a new one. If that one was sufficient, then I wouldn't have had a need to establish a new one. Now, you may not know this about me, but I married into a family, a, a massive family. My wife is one of 11. She has 10 siblings. The oldest is how old? 40, maybe. If he's not, he's going to get really upset at me. And the youngest just turned 21. The youngest is Rebecca. You might know Rebecca. Rebecca comes and and often sings and leads. She's a worshiper. She loves the Lord. We call her like the angel child. And there's a joke around her family that we all make, and we all say it took them 11 tries to find the perfect one, and then they stopped. Which I don't laugh at that because that's not true. It took them six tries, and then they made Cheryl, who was an angel, who I love, who was the best. The rest weren't necessary. Oh, she was the seventh. The, the, rest, the rest weren't necessary, but, but we'll keep the rest around, right? They didn't need to keep going. You look at all these covenants in the Bible, and you find out that, you know, after one covenant and then another covenant, and there just had to, there had to be more. Then you get to the Mosaic covenant, which was a conditional covenant, and you're like, man, this just this doesn't seem to be working. And God's like, I know that because something's missing, and so I'm going to establish something that is new because it's better. And now I, now I can stop with this new covenant. So that, that's what's going on. This new covenant is better than the old covenant because the old one could not offer what the new one could. The new one could offer something better. Can I, can I teach you this morning? Is that okay? I know sometimes you ask and you wonder, what do they teach about and how do they figure out what they're going to teach about? Well, what we do is we kind of open this thing up, we close our eyes, we stop and we point and then we preach. <laughs> oh, that's not true. We get together, we pray, we ask God, you know, what is, what is it that you want us to teach? And sometimes we feel it's necessary to teach. Sometimes it's necessary to preach, which by the way, they're different. And we'll do that through verse by verse studies. We'll do that through topical messages. We'll do that through current issues. We'll do that through biblical characters. But today... And this study, we've been walking through Hebrews, is a verse by verse. And so it's going to be a little deep. It's going to be for the mature believer. We're going to teach you today. And I know many of you, that's what you want. And that's what you like. You don't always want to be inspired. Sometimes you need to be inspired. But you want to be taught. Hebrews chapter 8. Let's look at that second part in verse 8. What is the old covenant? I want to answer that question. What's the old covenant we're talking about? And then I want to look at what's the new covenant that we're going to talk about. It says in chapter 8, the second part of verse, of verse 8, it says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a, what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And so I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Now, if you're reading this in your Bible, you notice that it's indented. It doesn't follow the same look as the rest. 
That's because the writer is quoting somebody else. Who is he quoting? He's quoting Jeremiah. Now, who was Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. No, I'm just kidding. He was a friend of mine. <laughs> In all seriousness, I had no idea what he said, though. I never understood a word he said. Um, Jeremiah, that's a joke. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And he was called to go to the, 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 the remaining days of the, the demolition or the destruction of Israel. Because if you remember, and this is a little history for you, if you remember when God would establish his covenants, the conditional ones, the people had to obey, and if they obeyed, then they were blessed. If they didn't, then they were cursed. And, and time and time again, we see the nation just walking away from God, and God is just fed up, and the 12 tribes of Jacob, of Israel, were divided, and there were 10, and there were two, and the 10 he sent into captivity with the Assyrians, and the other two he sent to eventually be in captivity to the Babylonians. And so Jeremiah now is this prophet called to preach to those two remaining tribes. Now his message was simple. Repent of your wicked ways. God loves you, but he does not tolerate sin. Church, God loves you, but he does not tolerate sin. Somebody say repent. Repent, because he loves you, but he disciplines those who sin that he loves. And Jeremiah preached this for 40 years. He was also known as the weeping prophet, because no matter what he said, he could not convince these people to repent, and so he cried all the time. 40 years not one story of success. 40 years of preaching. And God was, was so upset at these people. He, he eventually just told them, he said, you know what? Go ahead and do what you want. But in the message that Jeremiah brings to the remaining two tribes, he does bring some hope. Go with me to Jeremiah 31. Jer this, he, he's literally quoting Jeremiah 31. He isn't penning anything new. He's just quoting what was said back in these times before the rest of the nation was going to be held captive by the Babylonians. He says this, if you look in Jeremiah 31, in verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God. If you go back to verse 30, 31, this is where I should have started off with. He says, the time is coming where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Verse 31 of chapter 31. And it will not be like the covenant that I made with the forefathers. In the same way that Israel destroyed what God had built, they would once again at some point build it again. They would, they would replant. They would, they would rebuild. But that wasn't going to happen now because they were about to go into exile. So what Jeremiah is essentially saying is there's hope because there is a new covenant and this new covenant is going to replace the old one because the old one isn't working anymore. The old one is broken. Now what old covenant is Jeremiah talking to the two tribes left? What old covenant is he talking about? Is it the, is it the covenant God made with Noah? The covenant God made with Abraham? The covenant God made with David? Well, what does the passage say? In verse 32, he says, I will it will not be like the covenant that I made with the forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of where? Out of Egypt. So who, so who are we talking about here? Moses. We're talking about the covenant that God made with Moses when he took the people to the desert of Sinai. We're talking about the Mosaic covenant. Now, where does this Mosaic covenant begin? In Exodus 19. 
Go with me to Exodus 19. Can we read the Bible? Is that okay? Exodus 19, after the book of Genesis. Exodus 19, and uh, we're going to start in verse 3. If, if you, you have to understand that, again, some of these covenants are connected. You have covenants that were unconditional, which was the one that he made with Abraham. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. And part of that covenant, part of that promise was going to be land, territory that would be theirs that they could inherit. It's like if you're in your parents' will, hopefully in your will, it's like you will get the house. And I believe that. Problem is I've got five other siblings, so we're all scratching our head thinking, who's going to get the house? Well, the promised nation, who's that nation? Israel. Israel is Jacob. So obviously I will get the house because my name is Jacob. (laughs) So there's a promised land in the Abrahamic covenant, which is uh, the Palestinian covenant. So there was land that was promised, and that promised land they would get to, but it wouldn't be through Moses. It would be through Joshua. No, Joshua would be the one, because Moses, what did he do? He hit the rock, and, and therefore Moses would not be the one to take him into the promised land. So if you remember, Abraham, who had many sons, he had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. He had the 12 tribes. But then they get into uh, uh, in slavery with Egypt, and then they're freed from that. And now they're headed to the promised land. And in the desert of Sinai is where God meets with Moses, and he gives him a covenant, an agreement between God and the nation of Israel that would be conditional. Look with me in, in verse 19, or sorry, chapter 19, verse 3. This is what it says. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and he said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Verse nine. Now, if you obey me fully, does this sound unconditional or conditional? Conditional. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is what God tells Moses. And now God is like, let me tell the people. So it's conditional. The covenant that he made with Abraham was simply just believe. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this was unconditional. Whatever was going to happen from then on, the land would still be theirs at some point. And that Father Abraham would be a father of many nations. So now there's a shift in the tone here. It's not just if you obey me, but now it's if you live for me. That doesn't change the outcome. What this Mosaic covenant isn't doing, it's not replacing the covenant that was before. It's part of that covenant. And now, listen, the promise is going to be yours. The question is, how are you going to live before you get there? Can I tell you, church, and if you're a believer in this house, watching and online, you will get what you are promised. The question is, how are you going to experience life before you get there? If you want to be blessed by God, then obey God. If you don't want to be blessed by God, then don't obey God. You see, how you are supposed to live today isn't just living for the promise that you will get, but it is living in such a way that you are bringing glory and honor to the name of Jesus. And so now the the writer is talking to these people and God is speaking to Moses saying, this isn't just about getting the promise, you're going to get it. But this is about living in such a way that you will bring glory and honor to my name. So will you obey me? This is what he's, and God says, I'm going to come down to that mountain, Moses. I need you to prepare the people, get them ready to hear from me. It's an incredible scene. 
God shows up and he starts speaking to the people. And what does God say? What does he give them? He gives them the 10 commandments. No other gods, no other idols. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, and don't covet. Did I get them all? And that's what God lays out to the people. Just 10. And the rest of the book of Exodus goes on to go into great detail about those 10 commandments right there. If you obey me, you will be blessed. If you don't obey me, I will swallow you up. That's what the scripture says. The terms are set. If they break it, they'll experience cursings. If they obey it, they will experience blessings. I'm taking my son after church today. I'm taking him to the Keys to hang out with my wife's family just for a couple days. And he's so excited, but he hasn't been listening because he's five years old. And I keep telling him, I said, Judah, if you don't listen, I'm not taking you to the keys. And so the conditions are set. If you, if you obey me, you go to the keys. If you disobey me, I'm taking your little brother. That, 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 gets, that changes right away. Unfortunately, what we're seeing with the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament is, yeah, they, they, are, they find blessings, but they walk in disobedience. Time and time again, they disobey. They see the judgment of God. The tribes are divided. They're taken into captivity. The remaining two are taken into captivity because they didn't listen to Jeremiah. The Babylonians take them into captivity. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking to read some of these things. It's easy for us to now read it and, and say, oh, it wouldn't have been me. But you better believe that probably would have been you as well because there's so much that this world has to offer. There's so many things that can please me. There's so many other ways of knowledge. And we start to search those ways. We start to discover those things. We start to experience those passions. We start to marry people we're not supposed to marry. We start to, start to do things we're not supposed to do. And eventually we have found ourselves in captivity with Babylon. You know who the king of Babylon was? King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, King Neb. I know who King Neb is. You've got Daniel. You've got the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So despite God's people being in exile, God was still doing miracles. Despite you still being enslaved to that sin, God can still do something. God is still doing something. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe you don't hear it. Maybe it's not happening to you, but God is up to something. And so he was doing something in exile. And then a prophet Ezra would come along, or a priest Ezra, he was kind of either or. He shows up and he leads the, the, the nation of Israel out of captivity back to Jerusalem. Guys, I don't know about you, but the Bible is fascinating. It's an incredible storybook. And you may read some of the New Testament, and man, I'm inspired. You may read some of the Proverbs, and man, I'm just inspired. But man, could you just read some of the Old Testament and the scriptures and the stories of what God is doing? It's like, a, it's like the greatest story ever told. But all what it was doing, it was setting the scene for something or someone to show up. It's not like the Old Testament is worthless and we kind of throw it out. No, it was setting the scene because the people in the Mosaic Covenant, what they understood is that they could not obey God on their own. They needed somebody to show up to do it for them. You know who that would be. This is the old covenant that Jeremiah is saying is going to be replaced by a better one. A one that will never be obsolete. A one that is greater. A one that is unlike anything you've ever seen. Go to verse 10, Hebrews chapter 8. Go back to Hebrews. I love, I love teaching 
teaching the Bible, by the way. I love going into some of these, these stories. I'm fascinated right now by NASA and SpaceX, and I'm, like, watching all these documentaries, and I'm, like, I think I'm some scholar now in, like, the space, you know, life. I know nothing. All, all I know is that if I was in one of those spaceships and getting ready to take off, you have to sit in that thing for hours and hours and hours, and you can't even scratch your nose because you got to, you know, I'm like, I can do that. I'm out. I can't scratch my nose, I can't scratch my, I'm out. But I'm just fascinated and I'm learning and I'm learning and it's just like so intriguing for me. Have you ever felt that way towards the Bible? Do you study it, read it, and you're blown away and you're thinking, what, what, what is this? What's going on? My wife will call me sometimes and she'll say, hey, what does this mean? I'll call my dad and say, hey, dad, what does this mean? And it's inspiring to know when people and it's encouraging to know when the body is not just reading this to read but they're learning it. It's easy to apply it, but it's also easy to misapply it. And I think we have a lot of people who are misinterpreting scripture. They're misapplying scripture that wasn't meant for them. It was meant for an individual. It was meant for a nation. It was meant for a group of people. And if we don't know it, how can you live it and how can you preach it? So verse 10 in Hebrews chapter eight, it says, this is the covenant that I will make with who? With the people of Israel. Let's stop there. Um, this can be a challenge for us to understand. Is the new covenant that is being established only for the people of Israel. If you go to when Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, this is my cup. This is before he was going to be crucified. He said, this is my cup and in it is blood. And this blood represents my what? My new covenant. He was speaking to the disciples. And he, he was essentially saying that I will become the mediator of this covenant. It'll be me. Nobody else, it'll be me. You fast forward to Corinthians and the church in Corinth, and Paul is preaching this exact passage to all the believers. Some Jew, some Gentile. So in, the verse, in verse 10, are we implying that this promise, this covenant was first to Israel and then now will be experienced by the church. And there's certainly a divide in this because many conclude that the church is the spiritual Israel. Some will say this, this covenant has nothing to do with the church and it's only for people who are actually Jewish. And one day they will be gathered together and when they're gathered together, then this covenant will start to take fruition. But Jesus, the Bible says, is the mediator. Somebody say today, today. So let me quote, not me, but a guy by the name of Warren Wiersbe. He says, perhaps the solution is found in God's principle of to the Jew first. To the Jew first. God promised the covenant for his people. Jesus' ministry began with the Gentiles? No, with the Jewish people. He sent his disciples to go preach to the Gentiles? No, to the Jewish people. In fact, Peter stood up in his first message and he said, this is for the Jew first. But what happened? Well, all the Jewish people that were receiving this message didn't receive it. Some did, many did. In fact, 3,000 received it, but many others didn't. And they still didn't. People rejected him. His own people crucified him. The leaders didn't want anything to do with it. And so the gospel would move on from Jerusalem 
and Judea and to Samaria and into the Gentiles. And by the way, read the book of Acts. That's, that's where the gospel is advancing now to all the Gentile nations and to the Gentile people. So what do we come to the conclusion of? Well, what is the church made up of today if Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant today? Well, it's filled with a bunch of Jewish people who have been regenerated, who have been restored, and a bunch of people who aren't Jewish. So this covenant is for all who are in Christ, amen? This is the covenant, verse 10, that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Again, this is Jeremiah speaking to the people who are about to be in captivity to the Babylonians, but he's also speaking to the house of Judah. He says, I will put their, my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Does that passage apply to us today? Anybody thankful that that passage applies to us today? That God at one point looked at their wickedness and said, Cursed are you. And now God looks, if you're a believer, he looks at your wickedness today and he says, I forgive you. And I don't remember it anymore. Now, does that mean that God is forgetful? No, not not at all. What it means is that he no longer uses that and he no longer holds it against you. But look at the last verse, verse 13. It says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one what? Obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. God is essentially saying, what I set up with their ancestors long ago was not working. It was a a conditional covenant, an agreement between me and the nation of Israel. And they could not keep up their end of the bargain. And so time and time again, I tried, to, I tried to warn them. And I sent prophet after prophet after prophet. That's why we read all the prophets. People coming to warn the nation of Israel. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't marry the, into that nation. Don't break these laws. What are you doing? That's why prophets were crazy. Because nobody listened to them. And, and what they were saying was from God, but nobody cared. And God's like, I sent you prophet after prophet after prophet to warn you that I love you. But I will also judge you. And so he just, he gave him over. He said, this isn't working. And because this isn't working, because that covenant's not working, I've got to establish a new covenant. And I'm going to do it through my son. And he is going to be greater. And what he offers, what he brings, I don't need some stone to write it on. I don't need a paper to, to write on. I just need your heart. And I'm going to carve it in your heart. When he says, when the writer says that no longer will man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, this just simply means that you won't have to go to school to learn about me because it'll be on your heart. You'll get it from me firsthand, from God. This covenant is completely different. This covenant is is not a copy-paste, by the way. God wasn't like, you know what, that worked, that worked, you know, that worked, and just flipping papers, and he, let's, let's take that, and let's just apply it over here. It doesn't always work. So he had to establish something completely different. He had to establish something new. You know that word new is two ancient Greek words. 
One of them is naos and one of them is kainos. And naos is simply something new that has replaced something old. In regards to time, this was, this was old, now I'm making it new. That's it. It's just, a, it's just a different version of what was already made. But then you get into the word kainos. Kainos is describing not just something that is new in reference to time, but in new in reference to quality. It's fresh. It's something that you have not seen before. Let me show you this design nobody's seen before. Let me, let me create this that nobody's seen. And, and most of the time we're like, well, you're going to show me, but I've already seen it. Not, nothing is new under the sun. Oh, but God, who is the sun, has established something that is new. That isn't a copy paste, but it's completely different unlike anything you've ever seen before. And with a small subscription of $19.99 per month, you can get access to it. That's, that's, not, what he's, that's not what the scripture says. But it's, it's completely different. I love how Martin Luther penned it. Martin Luther didn't say it's the old law versus the new law. He said it's law versus the gospel. Completely different. It's not, you know, works and then more works or works or less works it was works verse grace completely different this is something that people have not experienced before this is something that people have, have not realized until now when Jesus showed up and he said this is my cup and it is my blood and this is the new covenant this is an agreement between God and his people that says if you repent of your sins you will experience salvation it's completely different, by the way, because the old would say, obey me and you will be prosperous. The new says, obey me and you will have eternal life. The old says, I am God and you shall fear. The new says, I am God and I am near. The old says, you have to sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. The new says, I will send my son who will sacrifice for all of your sins. The old says, you've got to keep working and working and cleansing and cleansing. And the new says, here's the one that did it all. He did the work for you and he did the cleansing for you. Church, can I tell you, I love the law. I do. It represents something. Not everything, but it represents something. The old law, by the way, is not sinful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not kick it out of here. It has meaning. It has value. It has purpose. What the writer is saying is what has now come is much greater. And that will become obsolete. It wasn't sinful. It was insufficient. You know, I went on a a retreat a couple weeks ago, a little pastor's retreat. How many know that pastors got to take care of their own soul too? And it was just fascinating. I was blown away. I got to hang out with some pastors in Colorado and in the mountains and just spending time with God. We were, we were having fun, but it was really about uh, taking care of pastors' souls. It wasn't focusing on church growth how many numbers you got, what's going on, how many salvations, baptism. It was just about, hey, what's going on in your family? What's going on with your wife or your spouse? What's going on? Tell us. It was beautiful. But during the day, we would just do crazy stuff. And, and uh, one of the days we got up to the mountain and we were 
we were riding these side-by-sides. Um, Sean, throw, I got a picture of you, of, of us. This is me and two other pastors who were up there. And we put on these, you know, these helmets and we're riding these like, uh, I wish I could show you a picture of the actual carts. We're riding these like go-karts or these kind of these gator-like things. We're just riding up the mountain, crazy. But if you notice, I had to put um, that over my head because of the dust. It's not winter in Colorado, it's summer in Colorado. And as you trail in, there's like seven of us on these these side-by-sides. The dust is getting everywhere. So I, you know, I got this big thing, I got the mask. But some of the guys were like too claustrophobic in that thing. And so they didn't want to wear the whole, whole thing. They wore one of those old school, like, you know, so, you know, ones with the faces shown. And you just wear glasses with the faces shown, whatever. They were like, this is too claustrophobic for me. I'm going to die. I'm like, you're a pastor. Have some faith. <laughs> you know, uh, so we, we finished whatever. It was fun. It was like four and a half hours. We all switched to driving and there was like 20 of us that went. And then we get to this restaurant and we walk in and there was this pastor by the name of Jeff. And, Jeff is from uh, Mississippi and Jeff walks in and I immediately see Jeff and I'm like Jeff and he's like yes you know he got that he got that southern like yes what's up and I said Jeff have you seen your face he said well no I have not I said look at your face Jeff it's full of dust he had you know he had the visor thing on but just a square of his face was just completely full of dust and I'm like Jeff go look at a mirror I mean, just go look at him here. Like, you do look filthy. And he said, really? I said, yes. He said, then I will. And so he, he walks into the, to the bathroom and he comes back out with the dirt still on his face. I said, Jeff, did you not see? He said, I saw it, but I kind of like it. What did he say? I'll never forget. He, and then he, he went on to eat his meal with that dust all over his face, perfectly outlined in a square and uh, man, I love it. But here's the principle is that a mirror is great because it'll show you what you did not see. The problem with mirrors is that mirrors will not cleanse that which it sees. The law will show you your dirt and your filth and what is wrong with you, but it cannot cleanse you. It can't cleanse you. That mirror could not cleanse just face. He could have used some soap and some water, but he didn't want to. And how many of us, we see the law, we are convicted by the law, and we say, no, I shouldn't do that. But you know what? It's okay. And we just go on with our lives, living in exile, in captivity by the Babylonians, when we could have said, you know what? Who can wash this sin away from me? I see it, but who can do it? His name is Jesus, and he died on a cross for you and for me. And he says, I will wash away that dirt that nobody else can. And I'll clean it white as snow. Anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? Hey, would you stand to your feet? Come on all across this room. If you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, would you lift your hands all across this room? And would you shout, thank you, Jesus. You washed my sins as white as snow. You cleansed me from the inside out. Nobody else could do that. No old covenant could do that. It wasn't the Mosaic covenant, but it was the new covenant that you offered, that you brought. It was that covenant that would cleanse me of my filth, cleanse me of my sin. It would cleanse me, God, because of your blood. And so I thank you for your blood. I was a wretch. I remember who I was, but I am found now. I am found. I am found, Jesus. Come on, would you worship him in this room? I am found only through him and through what he did on that cross. Come on, would you sing it out? 
Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.